Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to bring the Word of God to you today. And uh, thank you, Brian, for reading uh, that beautiful passage that we're going to be spending some time. And it's interesting, <clears throat> as we look at this passage, the truth that Jesus proclaims. So as we unpack this truth, let's, let's open up in a word of prayer. As we pray, Lord, help us to prepare our hearts to hear your word today. Please allow the Holy Spirit to stir our hearts and minds and teach us the truth found in your word. Bring clarity to any doubts that may exist, Lord. Help us to build our faith and confidence in you. And also lead us to action. Help us to believe and put our faith in the one and only who has the power to give life everlasting. Amen. As Brian mentioned briefly, last week we were introduced to the incident and the indictment toward Jesus by the Jewish authorities. And let's quickly review that. I know we've been talking a little bit about that story. Uh, In the early part of chapter 5, Jesus goes to Jerusalem to attend a feast. We're not told of what feast, but while he's there, he's helping to heal a lame man. And we know that the man had been crippled for 38 years, the Bible tells us, and his situation had seemed hopeless. Taking the initiative... Jesus was concerned for this man and for his well-being and commands him to get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Jesus' words had power, and as the man obeys to his word, his body was completely restored, the Bible tells us. This miracle took place on the Sabbath. Now, that's, that's very significant for what we're about to talk about today. According to Jewish law, Uh, No one was allowed to do any kind of lifting, carrying, or similar type of work on the Sabbath. So this incident that we were introduced to last week by Pastor Joel, it angered a particular group of people. You know, the Bible says the Jews, but that wasn't all the Jews, okay? It was just a particular group of people, mainly the Jewish leaders, who upon finishing their investigation, they accused Jesus and they started to persecute him. For breaking the Sabbath law. Now that we know that in his earthly ministry, we find out that Jesus was at odds with the leaders, the religious leaders of his time, especially when it came around to this topic of the Sabbath. It was a central issue that brought a lot of opposition. And the theology that Jesus taught on the topic was very different of that of the religious leaders. In Mark chapter 2, He had already said that the Sabbath was a day to benefit mankind. The the Sabbath was made for men and not meant for the Sabbath. See, in its original intent, it was to be a holy day, a time of prayer, a time of worship, a time of rest from daily routine work. The Sabbath laws that were added later on by the Jews, the Jewish leaders, that means, had obscured And they had concealed the real intent of the law. The original meaning had been lost. And the rules had become very complicated and very burdensome for many Jewish people. 
Edwin Blum, in his commentary, wrote this. The Jews' rigid traditions, not found in the Old Testament, taught that if anyone carried anything from a public place to a private place on the Sabbath, intentionally, he deserved death by stoning. So when we see that, we obviously understand now in this case why the man was quick to point fingers at Jesus. His very own life was at stake if he was found guilty. That's why he was quick to point to the one that had told him to carry the mats. And in the process of accusing Jesus, we learn that the Jews had failed to realize the life-changing power that he possessed. Now Jesus' response to them in verse 17 added more fuel to the fire and caused this conflict to intensify. Here's what Jesus said in verse 17. If you can open your Bibles with me, we're going to read some verses from our text. Here's what the response was. My father is working until now, and I myself am working. To the religious leaders, this statement was blasphemy against God. Jesus was not just calling God his father, but he was also claiming to do the same works that the father was doing. And notice in the language, when we look at the text today, notice that Jesus uses the phrase, my father. That's claiming a very personal relationship. He didn't use the word your father or the phrase our father, which was usually often used by the Jewish people. Jewish people, the Jewish religious would uh, would use the term our father in reference to God. But Jesus says, my father. See, this response clearly identified this unique father-son relationship that Jesus had, whom the Jewish leaders did not have. And obviously this made things much, much worse. See, the Jews believed on the one God, the one true God, a God infinitely greater than any human being. Thus, for any person, like Jesus, to claim to be God, okay, or to be God, this was an insult to this one true God. And according to the Jewish law, the punishment for such blasphemy against God was death. We find that, we find that in Leviticus 24, 16. So these very claim by Jesus obviously upset the Jews because to them... They only saw him as a human being, not as deity. See, they failed to see the big picture in this particular event. They focused more on their man-made laws that they were blinded to see the power of God in the healing of the man. In John chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, we're told the reasons for such growing hostility and the dissension that had been created, which led to Jesus facing not just persecution from the first incident, but now even death as they were seeking to kill him. So if you have your bulletin uh, bulletin, um, program with you, uh, follow along with me as we fill out some of of this information. So this is the the context of our story today. This is what uh, we were introduced to last week. And in today's passage, we're going to focus on the second part. Okay, when you look at John chapter 5, it's really divided into three parts. Okay, sort of like a mini-series that we're doing with Pastor Joel. And so um, I'm going to cover today, and then Pastor Joel next week is going to cover the last part 
of how Jesus identifies as a deity and as the Son of God. We're going to look at verses 19 through 29, and we're going to look at Jesus' defense in response to the indictment by the Jewish leaders. See, Jesus' supernatural power was displayed publicly in this man's life, and it revealed his true identity that he was more than human. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ. And in this miracle, Jesus is actually fulfilling the words of the prophet Isaiah, who had prophesied that in the days of the Messiah, the lame would leap like deer. That's from Isaiah 35, 1 through 7. So the Jewish leaders, knowing the scriptures, they would have picked up on this one, but they failed. See, as we look closer to our text today, we find out how Jesus supports his claim as deity, how he claims equality with God. This long discourse between the two goes to the very end of the chapter. But as we reflect on verses 19 through 29 today, we're going to actually look at the three major claims that Jesus made in supporting his deity as the Son and equality with the Father. Now, each of these claims begin with the phrase, truly, truly, I say to you. And if you look at your passage of Scripture today, we find those in verse 19, 24, and 25. Now, in my study, I found out that Jesus often used the word truly in his teachings. In the Gospel of John, this repetitive phrase is used over 25 times. Now, the Greek word and the transliteration of the word uh, that we get from is the word amen, which means truly Okay, and there's other translation versions which say verily, or most assertedly, or so be it. The late R.C. Sproul, an American Reformed theologian and pastor, he referred to truly, truly as the double amen. Listen to this. He wrote this. Whenever we read this in the text of Scripture, our Lord is given a statement that is important. By the double amen. It is a time to pay close attention and to be ready to give our response with a double amen to it. He says amen to indicate truth. We say to receive the truth and to submit to it. End quote. So as we look at these truly, truly sayings of Jesus, we find them also in the synoptic gospels. When we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus used a single word, however, in in this particular books of the Bible, in the Gospels. And he used this word over 50 times. So when we compare the Synoptic Gospels with the Gospel of John, we see that in John he uses the words twice compared to once in the other Gospels. And why is that? Well, in using the truly, truly statement, Jesus was proclaiming truth and challenging his audience and those who were listening to the message with the intent to understand his true identity. See, if you use the word twice, it meant it was twice as important. Usually we use the word amen at the end of a prayer or a statement or when we agree with the preacher. Amen? Amen. Right? But the New Testament writers often used it at the end of their writing. 
But here Jesus is doing the opposite. He's beginning with saying, amen, amen. What I'm about to tell you is very important. Truly, truly, listen to what follows. See, Jesus' claims will be his defense as to who he is and why he does these things. Because that's what really the question was at the Pharisees. By, by what authority are you doing these things? Who are you? So John, in this passage, will allow the very words of Jesus to support the purpose of his gospel. And what's the purpose of his gospel? We, we've heard this a lot. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you have made life in his name. John twenty thirty one. So let's unpack these claims. These, these claims actually sort of interact with each other. Okay, They support one another. And so let's see what Jesus is telling in response to his defense. The question we're going to answer this morning is this. How is Jesus equal with God the Father? Point number one. Jesus is equal with God the Father in his authoritative works. And we find that in verses 19 to 23. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. See, this claim, in response to what Jesus had already said in verse 17, shows that Jesus is deity. He's referring to himself as the Son, the Son of God, who is working with the Father. And we need to understand their works, so we must go to the very beginning. In the eternal realm, the Godhead has been working in perfect harmony with one another. In chapter 1 of Genesis, we learn that God created the heavens and the earth. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the Word was God, and the Word was God, and He was with God. See, throughout the Old Testament history, we see the triune God actively working through the nation of Israel to bring salvation to a fallen humanity. In the New Testament, we see Jesus, the person of God, carrying out that plan of two fulfillment. In his humanity, being fully God and fully man, he lived a perfect life and did the works of the Father in complete obedience See, Jesus in his, work, in his works was not doing things independently of the Father. Being that he is God as the Son and that he is perfect, he could not do anything in contrary to his nature and to the Father's will. He imitated and submitted himself to the Father's works fully because of the perfect love and unity that exists in the Godhead and the triune God. Jesus stayed focused on his mission. He did not deviate from it and told the people that he was sent to do the Father's will. In John chapter 4, verse 34, we, we've read this passage when Pastor Joel talked about the Samaritan woman. And the disciples come back after shopping and getting some food. And Jesus tells them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. 
See, in response to working or breaking the Sabbath law, Jesus was telling the Jewish leaders that God is always at work. And because he is the son of God, he cannot break God's law. He too must work. He too has authority to heal and do great works. Why? Because God the Father has given him complete authority. In John chapter 3 verse 33, Jesus said this, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. See, Jesus as the Son has complete authority to carry out the Father's mission through his works. His deity and equality with the Father point out that their works, their actions, their words, their power and authority are all the same. His character and his nature is equal with that of the Father. And since the Father is working on the Sabbath, Jesus too must also work. He imitated the Father by being completely obedient. He didn't act in his own accord like the Jewish leaders thought he was. But he he did exactly the same thing the Father was doing. Jesus was submissive and united with the Father. By doing the works of the Father, Jesus would later on finish the mission that he was sent to into this world and fulfill the scriptures. Now in verses 19 to 23, we get this perfect picture of the Father-Son relationship. Here, Jesus is expanding what he's already previously said in verses 17 and 19. And, and here he's using the word, the title, Father, and also the title, Son. And, and he's going back and forth, back and forth. Why is he doing that? Because the Jewish leaders need to understand that his relationship is unique. The title, Father, is actually used eight times in, this, in these verses, 19 to 23. And the word, Son, is used seven times. Now, Pastor Scott Harris, in one of his sermons, he wrote this regarding this important relationship that we need to understand as humans. He said this, We must be careful that when we see the terms Father and Son being used for one of the persons of the eternal Godhead, that we do not take our understanding of a human father and son relationship and apply it directly. You see the danger? Our understanding of a father and son relationship is affected by our own experience of imperfect relationships between independent, imperfect people. But here, Jesus says the relationship between the father and the son is perfect. And this perfect unity between the two of them, it comes from God's love for Jesus. The father demonstrates his love. And he demonstrates his work by showing Jesus all the, things that, all the things that he must also do. This supports the point that Jesus is making in regard to the fathers. Edwin Blum says this, The son is not doing simply a part of God's will, but he has full disclosure to all of the father's works. See, at, at the end of verse 20, Jesus tells the Jewish leaders, that he's deity and as the son, as a godson, he has the authority. And he also has authority to do greater things 
what they've already seen, what they've already witnessed. What did Jesus mean by the phrase, greater works than this, in verse 20? Well, obviously, the healing of a man, it was a great miracle, right? Jesus would do a lot more miracles, but that would not be the only work that they would see. And yet, this, and yet not believe in him. He would do far greater things or works to reveal his authority, his glory, and his power, as we see later in his ministry. And many would be amazed by all these miraculous signs as we look at the Gospels. And they would leave no room and no doubt as to who Jesus was. Because Jesus as the Son is equal with the Father. Not only he has authority in his works, but let's find out that he has authority to give life. That comes from verse 21. Here, Jesus is actually prophesying to the Jewish leaders that just as God the Father brought dead people to life in the Old Testament, and just the Father is at work bringing people to life, he too has that same power and authority to give life to anyone he desires. The religious leaders knew that the Old Testament writings um, identified deity as one who had power to give life and to take life. We're reminded of the story of Naaman. Where the king says, am I God to give you life? Implying that he was not. He didn't have that right, that power, that authority. But here we see Jesus who has the right and authority as the son. Jesus was claiming that I am God the son and I too have the right to give life. In his earthly ministry he demonstrated this life-giving power when he brought back the widow's son. When Jesus brought back the official's daughter... And even Lazarus later in his ministry. Jesus not only brought physical life to people, but he also came to give spiritual life to all those who believed. He would offer this life to the disciples, to Nicodemus, to the Samaritan woman, and to all who would put their faith and trust in his name. His power to give life clearly revealed that Jesus was God and equal with the Father. The other great works that Jesus would have authority was authority to give, excuse me, authority to judge. See, the Jewish leaders knew that one day God would come in power to judge the earth. The Bible tells us in Psalm 96:13, "For He is coming; He is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness." And the peoples with the truth. God is going to come to judge with righteousness and truth. And through the Old Testament writings in Israel's history, we see God exercising judgment on the wicked, on Israel's enemies, even in his own people when they are disobeying him. See, God has the authority to judge. And just like God the Father judged his creation, Jesus has the authority And he's been given that power by the Father to judge all mankind. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The word all means what? All. Not some, but all. So the same power that God the Father has is the same power that Jesus the Son has. This prerogative, this right, this ability... And authority to judge has been given to God, and it belongs to also the Son. 
See, the Jewish leaders, they failed to realize that Jesus was equal with the Father. And that as God, he had the right to judge them. But in our story, who was doing the judging? It was the Jewish leaders who were judging Jesus. When in reality, he had the authority to judge them. So as the Father has given the Son the authority in his works, the authority to give life, the authority to judge, what would be the purpose? Why would God give that to the Son? What's the purpose of the Father giving the Son authority in his works? Where our answer is found in verse 23. Read this with me. Where he says, So that all will honor the Son as they honor the Father. See, there's a reason why God the Father gave that authority to the Son. So that when he was here on earth as a human, the people would see that authority and they would honor the Son just like they would honor the Father. See, the Jewish leaders, they honored God. They had a form of godliness and they were very zealous toward the scriptures. That's why Jesus got into trouble. Jesus, you're breaking the Sabbath law. And they were zealous toward the scriptures. They were zealous toward God. But in truth, their zeal was without knowledge. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 10 verse 2. See, they cared more about receiving honor from man than seeking to honor God in obedience. And they denied and dishonored the Father by rejecting the Son. Just like they had rejected the Old Testament prophets. Time and time again we see in history God sending people, sending messengers, sending prophets to point all mankind to Him. And here God has sent the Son and they are rejecting Him too. See, they failed to realize the authority of Jesus as deity and they failed to honor him, thus dishonoring the Father. They cared more about their man-made laws than about the Creator who gave them the laws. When we choose to reject and dishonor Jesus by not believing in him and intentionally living in sin, we are rejecting and dishonoring the Father as well. And the Bible is very clear, friends. Such rejection has eternal consequences. This brings us to our second claim of Jesus being equal with the Father. Jesus has the authority to give eternal life. We previously said that Jesus had authority to give people life back. Okay, We see that in people's life being raised from the dead. But Jesus has authority to give more than just physical life. It's the spiritual life that he also offers to us. Jesus is the source of eternal life. Truly, truly, I say, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come to judgment but passes out of death into life. See, in the prior chapters, Jesus taught that to have life everlasting, people needed to believe in him. Jesus, however, in this claim, notice who he focuses the attention to. He says, and believes who? Him who sent me. He's pointing the Jewish leaders to believing in the Father. Anyone who believes 
him who sent me has eternal life. In his claim, Jesus is proclaiming that he is divine, that he is able to give life to those who believe in his word because he is the source of life, just as the Father is the source of life. And this eternal, God, uh, eternal life that he offers is a gift received by faith. And it's a life given only to those who have become members of his family. In chapter 1, verse 12, he writes, But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name. See, this eternal life that he offers is abundant life for believers who will experience this life in the presence of God Almighty one day for eternity. As Jesus directs his attention to the Father, he wants us to realize that faith in the Son means faith in the Father. Jesus tells the disciples, you believe in God, that's good, now also believe in me. So we cannot separate God the Father and God the Son. They are one. Though distinct personalities, they are part of the Godhead. So by believing in the Son, we also believe in the Father who sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We have to hear the words of Jesus and we need to respond in faith. And our faith comes from hearing God's word and knowing the truth and believing that he, Jesus, is the Son of God. And that faith is shown in obedience toward the Son, in obedience toward the Father, in how we live our daily lives. When we do that, we find deliverance from judgment for those who have believed in the Son. He is the key to eternal life. Jesus said in chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus and we believe his finished work on the cross and his resurrection, we pass from being spiritually dead, being separated from God for eternity, to now being spiritually alive in Christ. This brings us to our last part of the text, verses 25 to 29, where Jesus talks about resurrections. We're not going to be able to get into too much detail with that because that's another sermon in itself. But here we find the third claim about Jesus as to who he is as the son who has authority to also judge. Number three, Jesus is the eternal judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming And now is, don't forget the second part, and now is, he's talking about the current time, the present time that he was uh, referencing in this verse. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, right there we have the Son of God, and those who hear will live. In response to verse 25, Jesus is saying, in this lifetime, an hour is coming where those who are dead will hear the voice and live. And scholars believe that this is not just in reference to physical life, but is also a reference to eternal life, spiritual life. Jesus is prophesying about what would happen to many who were dead. This is not just referring, referencing to the physical death of those who were in their graves, 
but also those who were spiritually dead and separated from God. There were many who heard the word of God and they lived. We find that in the previous chapters, okay, in John, where Jesus went to Samaria. And he's talking to the Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman then goes and tells her Samaritan friends in the village about the things that Jesus had told her. And the Samaritans, here's, here's what they said in response to that. It is no longer because of what you've said that we believe that you was the Samaritan woman. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. See, when we hear the truth of God's word, and we believe in the truth of God's word, we become spiritually alive. Jesus gives us a new spiritual birth. The Samaritans believe, and thus they experience a new spiritual birth. At the resurrection, we also learn that many people believed. Many were raised to dead. Okay, Remember when the, the, the curtain was torn in half? Many rose to life. So he's making references to both. And again, as for the Jewish leaders, they would have understood a lot of this because this was all in fulfillment of scriptures. Jesus, as the Son of God, as the Son of Man, he has the authority to give eternal life, but he also has the authority to judge those who disobey, to those who reject him. But there's good news. Jesus gives us a gift so that we don't have to face judgment at the end. He makes us new when we give our life to him. Why? Because he proved that. That through the resurrection, when he rose from the grave, uh, from the grave he proved that he had power over sin and death. That is what the gospel is. And that's the good news that we want to take to people so they can have hope. In verses 27 to 29, Jesus is also teaching on a day in the future, the age to come, about a resurrection of all humanity. On the day of judgment, we will stand before God and His Son. The Son will be there, and He will be our judge. He has the authority and the glory and the power to judge all mankind in truth and righteousness, and He will judge according to what we have done. In this life, he will judge according to our deeds. There will be two destinations for all mankind, the Bible tells us. Separation from God, hell, or living with him for eternity, heaven. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has already been judged because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus identifies himself as the Son of God who has the authority to judge and to give life. Here, as Jesus is teaching about the end times, he wanted the Jewish leaders to understand that at the end, it would be him judging them for eternity. Jesus here also uses another phrase. He identifies himself as the son of God, but also as the son of man. And this was obviously very important because the Jewish leaders understood that the son of man was in reference to the Messiah. That he would come in glory and he will sit on his glorious throne to judge humanity. 
He, as the eternal judge, will separate the wicked from the righteous and determine their final destiny. The wicked, the Bible tells us, will go into eternal separation or punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. See, for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, and we have demonstrated true repentance, and we are living a life of obedience to the Son, we are encouraged that at the end, Jesus will give us a righteous, eternal life. Paul tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have passed from judgment. It sets us free from the power of sin and death. We move from death to life eternal. Amen? Amen. So in closing, as we've talked about this passage, as we've talked about Jesus having the authority as the Son of God to do the Father's works, to give life, to judge, He is the source of eternal life and He is the eternal judge. A few questions that I want you guys to ponder as we come to a closing. What does this text reveal about Jesus? Do you truly believe that he is the Son of God? Now what is at stake from the passage? What is at stake if we choose to reject him? Today Jesus is inviting us to make a choice. What we decide here on earth will determine our eternal destiny. Now, if you're interested in knowing more about Jesus, please reach out to me, reach out to Pastor Joel and any of our elders and leadership here at the church. And we would love to help you make that decision today. Make that decision this week so that you can begin your journey of faith and obedience to Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you because you are the source of eternal life. Salvation is through you, by faith in you and you alone. Lord, as we have heard the truth of your word, help us to genuine faith and to put our faith and trust in who you are and who you claim to be. Thank you for your perfect obedience at the cross and your display of power and authority in your resurrection which brings us from death to life. Help us today to make the decision to follow you, not based on fear or mixed emotions, but based on the truth that is grounded in your word and the truth that you have proclaimed in this text. Amen.